Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Start with the issue around bail, violent repeat offenders continuing to be released back into the public, back onto the streets, even in cases where the Crown is asking for incarceration because a dangerous situation and they're still being released. Very interesting stats released yesterday by the BC Prosecution Service. Uh, You know, half the violent offenders are escaping detention, even though yeah. the Crown is applying for detention. Not in all cases. I mean, the Crown's Sometimes not half the time, the Crown's not even asking for detention. Exactly. Yep. And it was interesting. They broke, the, they broke the, the bail hearings down yesterday in different categories, just violent offenders, but also violent offenders who've got an outstanding search warrant, which means they've already been in the system, and then violent offenders with an outstanding search warrant and a breach of a previous order, so the, sort of the trifecta. And the judges just aren't putting these people in jail. They're just letting them walk, even though the Crown, as you say, not in all cases, about 50% of the cases are seeking detention. And the judges have said, no, you can you can have a walk. Now, it's the Attorney General's ministry yesterday saying this is established by the federal government, by changes in the criminal code. Uh, and it's the province is applying for more um, detentions, but the judges simply aren't granting them because of the way the law is worded. Okay, let's listen to Eleanor Sturko. So this is the uh, BC United MLA opposition critic on this file, former Surrey police officer. She was my first guest this morning. And she seizes on this this part of the story where even in cases where some of these violent offenders, the Crown, even though they've received this directive Mm -hmm. from the Attorney General, we want you to crack down on this and keep these people locked up. In a lot of these cases, the Crown's still not asking Mm -hmm. for incarceration. Let's have a listen to what she has to say here. Eleanor Sturko a short time ago. Of course, the judge's decision making has to play a role in it. But, you know, the fact that our B.C. prosecution service is only seeking remand in about half the cases just shows that our attorney general's directive that she provided them in November is ineffective. Does she have a point? Well, yeah. I mean, the stats uh, back up that assertion that the crown is not. Now, we don't know the details of each case. I mean, violent offender. Okay, what does that mean? In some cases, presumably it's quite violent. In other cases, maybe not as violent. Uh, so we didn't get that real granular breakdown of what exactly is meant in, on a case-to-case basis. But even putting that argument aside, it's still kind of alarming that the Crown obviously sees some seriousness in, in a number of cases that they're requesting detention where they feel someone is a threat to the public safety yeah. of the community, and yet the judges have rejected that argument. Yeah. Let them out anyway. Let's listen to the Attorney General. So this is Nikki Sharma, and she was my guest on yesterday's show. Let's have a listen to what she had to say, and we'll get your thoughts. If there was violence, if somebody's committed violence, and the very broadest definition of that term, um, whether it's with bladed weapons or guns or uh, bear spray in Manitoba is an issue, but any type of violence that... There should be changes to the criminal code that say that that person is held unless there's a really good reason to release them. It almost sounds like he's outlying common sense. You get a violent offender who's committed a weapon with a gun or a knife. Particularly when, they, when it's not the first time they've done it. Well, yeah. you know, this is a week-by-week basis. We're talking more than 100 people, well more than 100, violent offenders who've done it more than once yeah. and have been released in some cases numerous times and they keep yeah. committing violent acts, but the judges will not put them in jail. Unless there's changes to the criminal code, so you had the premiers last week meeting virtually with the Association of Chiefs of Police to try to put pressure on the federal government to change the criminal code to get away from the effects of the uh, Bill C seventy five, which um, enshrines in in legislation the principle of restraint.
yeah. uh, when it comes to uh, bail. Uh, but uh, clearly, I think there's been either unintended consequences or the pendulum swung too far the other way, or you've got all provinces on the same page now saying, no, we've got too many violent offenders in our community who are routinely offending and getting released. And that yeah. has to stop. This principle of restraint that the federal government introduced into the criminal code. This is the one where it says release is favored mm-hmm. over incarceration and you should and the judge should favor that. Unless but there it also says in there it continues to say unless there's a risk to public safety. And the crown and is making the arg- and the crown is making the argument there is a risk to public safety right. with a number of these individuals but they keep getting released by judges. Yeah. Okay, we continue well, to follow that. Hopefully the judiciary one. is sort of uh, reading the papers and listening to the radio and TV mm. and picking up where everybody's at right now. Yeah, read the room maybe yeah. on this. Well, and but where's what's the holdup with the feds here on it? Well, it's always a holdup with the feds when you try to get them to to move on legislative yeah. change. Uh, David Lamette, the uh, federal justice minister, has indicated some changes coming, but yeah. not exactly clear when. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the ongoing federal civil service strike. And this is an interesting exchange yesterday in the House of Commons. Now you'll note that passport offices impacted mm-hmm. by this strike there That's are still visible. still essential service levels there like you pointed yeah. out right but the minister even the minister said look if you're thinking of applying for a passport this is not a good time to do it no it's not <laughs> all right so let's listen to this exchange in the house of commons here you'll hear conservative mp michael chong and a liberal cabinet minister karina gold here let's listen the government has managed to oversee the largest strike in decades in the public service the minister's response don't apply for a passport. What travel document are Canadians supposed to travel on? During a general strike, by law, passport services are not considered to be essential. If there are urgent or humanitarian cases, they will be processed. Okay, okay, so urgent or humanitarian cases, you can get a, pro- a passport. Otherwise, it's not essential service. No, and I don't I wouldn't think it would be an essential service. Essential isn't the ability to fly to Europe. I mean, when you talk about essential service levels in a, in a strike situation, no matter whether it's the Public Service Alliance here or whether it's the education system in B.C. Uh, or, or the health system in B.C., Essential service means essential, and traveling to London for a holiday isn't deemed essential. I would think a lot of people would think that travel is essential. Maybe not for a vacation. What if you got a business trip? No, I would say it's essential versus health care. I mean, that's traditionally what essential service, when you flame it in labor negotiations, it's usually health care and emergency services are seen as essential, not not pleasure. And business trip, I mean, that's the price you pay. And this is why I don't think there's a lot of public support for this strike. You know, when well, you go on a, when you have a public sector strike, it hits the public, yeah. you know, and not the private sector. So the in public services. Well, the union's been pointing at some opinion polling showing otherwise, saying, "Oh, the public is supporting nah, on this. They support the wage demand." Mind. But you know, I, I saw the the picket lines this week outside the port of Vancouver, where the union was bragging that we delayed some grain shipments. Yeah, really. I'm like, <laughs> really? This is what you want to do now? Delay shipments at a port? Choke off and you the think this supply is, of bread. You think this is going to get you public support? Yeah, but having said that, you know, they're they're looking for 13.5% over three years. Well, that's what BC public sector unions have received. They've received 14%. So it's not completely out of the ballpark here, what they're looking for. Uh, the, the government's got 9% on the, on the table. So that's not, it doesn't seem to be a real deal breaker there. Yeah. Now, I wonder what role this, the union also is looking for this enshrined in the contract, the ability to work from home, which is also in the BC uh, civil service. So it's not completely out of the realm of, of reality. I mean, BC is 
basically granting what the PSAC's looking for at the what, federal level. What about the math? Let's do the math on this because the strike pay. Because someone, someone once told me in in labor that you should always be careful about going on strike for a raise because once you're out on strike and you're only getting paid strike pay, you're losing money. Yeah, and the the and you raise you will eventually get may never catch up to what you've lost yeah. on a picket line. So what are these guys getting in strike pay? Do we know seventy five dollars a day? That's my understanding. Now that's seventy five a day. Yeah, that's that's tax free. But still, you look at the price of the cost of living. That just doesn't cut it. This is why I don't. I think the federal government's basically hoping to wait these guys out. At what point oh. will the membership say, "Fine, we'll take the nine percent or ten percent," rather than losing, you know, significant amount of money? Uh, I mean, that's not making mortgage payments for many people. Yeah, you know, uh, I've been on strike twice. Both times, where my union ensured that our strike pay was going to be pretty considerable. Um, and in fact, basically matched your paid before you went on strike, and that kept that led to a successful strike. But if you don't have that strike, where was pay, that? The Vancouver Sun, uh, yeah, Vancouver Sun, and uh, Global, our oh, first wow. contract. Okay. But um, again, that's you know two uh, unions that had very deep pockets, ensured yeah. that the strike fund was there to ensure that they could put maximum pressure on the employer. That's not the case in this situation, and right. I think the employer senses that. What's going on with school portables in Surrey? There's yeah, something this has popped here. up here. I just talked to Eleanor Sturko, who's a Surrey South MLA, who says that they're looking at going from roughly 300 portables to potentially 400 portables in wow. the fall in wow. Surrey. And in some cases, they're talking about stacking them, double-decking portables, which I've really? never heard before. And keep in mind, remember the NDP promised in opposition to get rid of all the portables yeah. in Surrey. Well, Surrey's population growth is so explosive. They just can't keep pace with this. And these portables come out of their operating budget. It's not out of the capital budget. So uh, less operating funds for other programs. Okay. Call me on that if your child is in a portable uh, classroom in Surrey. I would love to hear from you on that. I remember once I did a year in a portable in school. I did a year in, in a portable. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I remember it was cold, man. It yeah, was, it, 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 my the... portable had uh, yeah, it was it was cold in the winter and it was hot in the summer or hot <laughs> in the in the late late spring months. Yeah. So ventilation maybe was they're better now. And you also had to go from the main building to the portable in the rain. Oh yeah, the weather nice. was always a, a, a factor. But nice. that seems to be a life a, a fact that just is, uh, indisputable in Surrey. But the fact they're going from uh, about three hundred to potentially four hundred well, that's a lot. Exactly the opposite of what the NDP promised. Right. Baldry's beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. Todd in Kelowna. Hi, Todd. Go ahead. Well, hi. Thank you very much for taking my call. Appreciate it. Love your show. Um, I just want to comment on the violent offender chronic release program that the politicians are running. Um, I really (laughs) like the fact that you're starting to put some accountability on where all these issues are starting, and that is with the judges and the politicians. I think what has to happen is we need to start calling them out by name. For example, Judge Smith from Kitsilano, sorry, Judge Smith, wrong name to use. Mr. Judge, whoever from Kitsilano, B.C., has released this violent offender, and this violent offender has hurt this family in this particular particular instance. Because there's a start to all this, and these chronic release uh, violent offenders, they start with minor stuff, and they escalate. And And everybody knows that. But the judges completely ignore that. They keep releasing people. And if the public would direct their anger and outrage towards these judges specifically, then we might see some change because then they would put pressure upwards and eventually the politicians might listen. And the politicians well, also need to be named in these circumstances. Because if, if a little old lady gets pushed down the stairs in Vancouver mm-hmm. and it ruins her life, her family members need to go after the judge that let this guy out three times. 
Like, well, that's no, what has we're not happen for change. Not gonna, no, you got to be careful about going after a judge. That's I don't not mean. What well, we're I mean, about. I mean publicly. I mean publicly, and in the media, because and that's the well, only way change is going to happen. Because these politicians just talk in circles. And the outrage has to now be directed on. Well, the, the root judge, cause. the judges are the judges are often identified in these cases. So, well, the uh, judges are maybe, also going to argue they're, they're they're following the the spirit of the law. Well, they're uh, following Bill C seventy five yeah. that we talked now, about it's earlier. It's interesting. Years ago, I used to be a court reporter for the Vancouver Sun, and back when papers had reporters in courts, and we were, <laughs> I was in bail hearings, and you could sit to but the media just doesn't. Is changed, and you don't have court reporters as much as yeah. we used to yeah. as a beat. So before there would be reporters in bail hearings. Sure, you know I'd be in court, uh, court one hundred and one, the provincial yeah. court, and that was the bail hearing, and yeah. it was, and the judge was there, and you could publish the judge's name, and, and that would that was a form of accountability, which we don't see right now. I don't advocate going after judges, but it'll be interesting whether or not. Someone takes the time to do an analysis. Are some judges more likely mm. to release violent offenders than other judges? Uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised if something like that is collected in the weeks ahead. Ryan in Cloverdale. Hi, Ryan. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, the topic about the strike, I'm in general support of the strike, uh, but there's one topic with the passports that has me a little bit concerned is we've already dealt with the backlog of passports, and I myself, my own experience, had a vacation booked and did the passports way ahead and they all got fumbled and ended up having to chase them down for three months and even had to get a 24-hour emergency one for my daughter, which I still don't have the proper one yet. So under our Canadian Charter of Rights, we have the mobility rights. Every Canadian citizen has the right to enter, remain and and leave Canada. Well, we can't do that without our passports. And yeah, I get right. people Good like, point. oh, cry me a river, you can't go on vacation. But there's a lot of people still waiting for these passports that they've done the proper way and don't have. And now they're going to lose thousands of dollars on vacations. And one could debate that this infringes on our rights. Thank you, Ryan. I think you, you did a better job making the point I was trying to make earlier. And that is, you know, maybe having a passport is an essential service or being able to wow. get one. Not under the law right now. Good luck on that. But I do feel some sympathy for him because uh, he's right about the backlog had finally been cleared up. Yes. Right? If, if we all did stories for months about the terrible backlog of getting a passport. Oh, it was we finally brutal. get to the point where you can get a passport and suddenly the strike happens. So the yeah. backlog is now going to build again. The other backlog that's building is on immigration. Yeah. That uh, yeah. was already a backlog to begin with. So you've got the immigration situation, citizenship services. Those are the big three. Uh, aside from ports, which we're just starting to escalate the number of pickets. But those are the big three documents that are in limbo right now. Drew and Langley. Drew, you got 30 seconds here. Okay, I just wanted to comment on the work from home for the federal government. We all saw what that looked like, again, on passports. No federal government employees got laid off. When they came back, uh, basically less passports were getting processed from before the pandemic. The wait was six months. And it turned out the reason why, 18,000 out of 25,000 were working at home. Nothing got done. Who knows what they're doing at home, but the government has no measurements and no accountability for their employees. Thanks for the call. I think the government is more likely to increase its wage offer than it is to accede to the union's demands to work from home and being enshrined in really? the contract. Mm. I think that's, that's probably where the deal is. Well, I mean, the pandemic is over. It's time to go back to work, isn't it? 
it's not over, but it, it feels like it's over. It's not officially been declared over, but yeah, yeah, we're getting back to normal. And this notion of working from home, it surprised the BC. A lot of BC deputies were surprised that the BC moved to work from home, but I don't see how the government's replicating that.